0: We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldkamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. So today we're going to try to differentiate between some trendy perspectives of the ketogenic lifestyle and what we are doing personally in our own lives now currently. It's evolved. We're still very keto, but we're doing things uh, a little bit differently. And I'd like to point out some of the almost fraudulent claims that are being made by keto products. I, I think that it just gets to be so congested with false claims, the media that is whether you're on Amazon or Google or think you're keto because you're eating keto products or you're taking exogenous ketones, I want to delve into some of that. I want to separate that so you know, or at least you'll have a voice in the back of your head, it'll probably be my voice in the back of your head, and saying, you know, it's not true, okay? So I'm going to give you the other side of that, and I'm going to back it up, and we're going to listen to a few snippets of various presentations that will, and I'll, Put the link to those presentations afterwards, so you can continue listening to them uh, long after this podcast is done. But you know, over the last seven years, this ketogenic lifestyle has completely changed our health from our personal health crises we were facing back then. And for deeper details on that, there's a number of podcasts, so you can go back and uh, look look those up if you're interested in those details. What we started doing initially is far from what our norm is today dietarily though still quite keto. This podcast, our Facebook group, and the various coaching programs we've subsequently developed evolved our understanding of this collective lifestyle referred to as keto or the ketogenic diet or the ketogenic way of living. As you document what you and others have done, that's speaking to myself and ourselves, by a data tracking diet, of course, right? They're logging what they're actually eating. Their labs glucose, ketones, et cetera, what works, what works most effectively for most people reveals itself nicely. It becomes obvious, in other words. To think that you drop your carbs or abolish them completely could transform people's health was, for me, beyond believable. It was hyperbole, as they say. Great exaggeration. Oversimplistic. However, if it hadn't happened to us personally, that is going through and and deriving some of the benefits, experiencing this up close, then through others, through programs, it made me a medical outlier to my colleagues. I was then an advocate for, oh, you ought to do keto, you know, you ought to drop the carbs and so on and so forth. Well, being a naturopath and everybody worried about their phytonutrients put me on the opposite side of the line then. I had become a crazy person, nearly a pariah to some. It wasn't just about weight loss, but that the lab changes that dramatically changed for the better. Yet there were still people, fifty per cent by some reports, physicians and coaches, saying you know they only get at best a fifty per cent success rate and Of course, as I mentioned before, the reason for that lack of success for that other fifty per cent is it was lack of compliance. That's too great a population to dismiss them as being lack of compliance. You know, other things had to be going on to make it so they weren't getting the same benefits that others. For some reason, they could no longer they they couldn't stay on it very long if they started it at all. They couldn't derive any of the alleged stupendous metabolic transformation for themselves. You know, what about what about them? What about them that made them different? And the first question that I came up with is: This correct? After talking to enough people and realizing that, that was a sufficient enough uh, ratio, whether it's for the health or the people I've, you know, um, talked to, I'm quite comfortable saying it's 50. percent So that left us with explaining what else is there for this population. You know, where else can I look? How and and do I have an understanding besides compliance or lack of compliance? Why isn't it working for them? And that's where the labs and everything else came in to give me a picture that I think I have a handle on it. Um, It ends up being a pretty interesting story. The trend of keto is starting to shift away from the word keto to then low carb, trying to de-emphasize the high fat part. Because the ketogenic lifestyle is often considered low carb, high fat, moderate protein. It's almost like a little haiku, <laughs> right? Other words, other words had been in vogue for decades previously. were becoming common like fasting, intermittent fasting, paleo, carnivore. These go back decades. We engaged with all of that. That is trying to find out what are those things? How are those things different? I'm still not quite sure how some of these words are different, but there are definitions of no, you know, paleo does this and carnivore does this and blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just try to live a, half, a healthier life? We engaged with all of that and discovered even more. Being able to track labs, hormones, people's hormones panel, and nutrient deficiencies, and see people's genome reports was no doubt a big advantage to being able to understand what changes were expected to happen in most people and yet didn't. However, also in the course of time, there's been to put it bluntly, a corruption of basic dietary truths by misrepresentation, exaggeration, and hypercommercialization. commercialization Whether it is about keto, low-carb, paleo, these processed food products, or the epidemic of sensational claims that such products would yield, the truth was being diluted by the passing trend. In other words, there is a lot to be gained. And I am still quite the fan, no less than I was when I suddenly stepped away from the condition that I had against medical advice. However, when you go on and you look at Google, Google Trends and so on, wherever you go to look, you'll see that the keto diet or the word keto is becoming less searched for, you know, which sort of gives you a collective been there, done that. I'm going to move on to the next thing. Well, if you're a marketer, that's what you have to do. But if you're a person simply trying to resurrect your own health, regardless of what age group you're in, then this is still very significant. And so significant, it wasn't part of our medical education. Okay, so in the course of the time in which keto is popular, there has been this sort of warping of the meaning and understanding of it. So the point is now, discerning the difference between the hype of a trend from the truth of what is real, factual, and verifiable is not always easy to do, clearly. Marketing can be anything, right? There's no accountability for marketing. For the past three years, this has been our focus, initially for ourselves, to separate the fact from the fiction, from the trend, from the truth publicly here in, the, in our Facebook group and on the podcast and certainly through Judy's blogs and her culinary creations. So that's where we are now, and I want to go into a little bit deeper to sort of add to some credibility. So what is going on here? So it's not just you go online and you look for your, your Amazon keto products and fill you in ketosis. It's far bigger than that. And data is important and it can change your life. So I'm speaking to the people who have a life they want to change, not just curious and saying, oh gosh, you know, meaning my my chocolates that I just got are not as not as keto as, as they think. No, I would say don't do that. Chocolate has its benefits, but try to be a little more perceptive. Okay. So in getting into this, you know, um, I'm going to start a series on the application of low carb, keto, whatever you want to refer to it, and cancer will be subsequent to this. So this is before I get into that, because that's going to be a long topic, a series of topics. Um, I wanted to kind of go back and say what we learned over the last seven years, some, and just sort of hit the high points, and then pull away on the marketing. And so um, just candidly, if you were to show up in our house right now and saying, you're going to spend a day with you know Carl and Judy, what is it that they really do? Well, first off, you're going to have to get out of bed at 4.30 in the morning, eh, quarter or five, and um, we then get off to the gym. It's a good time to get off to the gym. We go to the gym. Let me rephrase that. Now that we do go to the gym, we go to the gym two, definitely two times a week, sometimes three times a week to work with the weights, and they have all the set of weights that we obviously do not have at home. Other than that, we will follow a couple of YouTube videos the, on H I I T, high intensive uh interval training. And so we mix it up and we'll take probably uh two days off per week of of no exercise. So that's the exercise part. And it happens in the morning. So then the day has a rule, it gets started about nine o'clock per per Judy's rule, and it's good. Um and so what is it that we eat? Primarily you would probably say, hey, they're carnivore. Um, And actually, I really don't care what that actual definition is, but I'll tell you what we're doing. That it came to us through some of our coaching programs as they all sort of uh, evolved. Our bigger ones, we did all the labs on it. Is that it's a ninety-day program? You know, two weeks of getting the labs out of the way, and then ninety days of of doing it. Each week, we you know check in. We uh, learn things or some homework assignments. Um, lessons that have to be viewed, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we found is that some people did well initially, you know, it was all about carbs, boom, you know, it's like, well, look at that, another winner kind of thing. Oh, I dropped the carbs and they started losing weight. Isn't that phenomenal? But then they would plateau and some just wouldn't get that uh, sustained benefit. They wouldn't regain the weight but they wouldn't continue going down. So what was that about? We were seeing that a lot actually. And then we started um, playing around with the macro variables because we could track that. So we thought, well, let's increase the fats. We thought people were not fat adapted enough, so we'll increase the fat. So what we learned is this: is that in the first part of the program, now for six weeks, is that we do really focus on low carb, high fat, and they have the option of not doing any carbs if they don't want to. But usually, that's too much for people to do if they're coming in from just the standard American diet. So we keep them at low carbs, and we make sure they have high fats. I mean, we tell them they can do what they want to do, but that's the objective. So once they are quite fat adapted, and even though fat adaptation being more of a ketone producer and a ketone utilizer really continues for the next two years or even more, a lot happens in the first six weeks. You know, we could say six months, but the program has to have a certain finite period of time, you know, for people to get benefits. So after six weeks, we then pull that variable and we say, we're going to drop our fats. In fact, we're going to drop the fats completely for part of the subsequent weeks. And so we've we've evolved from what we first started implementing was at that point, we shifted to a protein sparing modified fast. What does that mean? That means it's primarily, we're just going to talk about protein and we're going to eat lean protein. So we're not going to eat the fat on the ribeye or on the chuck eye. We're not going to, if it's visible fat, we're going to cut it out. Um, you can never get meat or chicken or fish without fat. Uh, the leanest of all that is fish, of course, even if it's salmon is still lean relative to uh, meat. And so uh, pork is one that you can trim The fat away from. So, there's you're always going to get your fat, but we're just taking the visible fat away. And so, we started seeing some results. And so, with this hunch, we started doing a four day, three to four day, middle of the week. Yes, this is the only thing you're going to have is protein for three or four of these days. And you're going to trim away the excess fat. So, that was chicken without the skin, that was fish. The skin on the fish really doesn't matter that much. That? So, um, and beef and wherever they wanted to go, but it had to be lean. We have a list of that. Lean meats for those three or four days. And then they can go back into the regular, quote unquote, regular uh, ketogenic diet and add in a little more fat. And um, if they want to have some of the carbs, little of the carbs are still very low, remember, or 20 grams or under. So for the remaining weeks the remaining three days or so, they could go back to that being their normal the next week would start again, and they'd have another three or four day period of protein sparing modified fast. So, we did this for the second half of the program. And suddenly, we started getting some pretty remarkable outcomes. You know, we um, we didn't redo the labs because the labs were expensive to do, but we did, you know, ketones are easy to track and glucose is easy to track. Everybody's wearing a CGM if they can, where they're doing finger pricks. And so, we're getting these numbers coming in and watching that. And uh, we think that it's, it's really amazing. So we've now incorporated that as our lifestyle. So what we do is we cook primarily, but not always, uh, lean meat in the middle of the week. So we have three or four days and those leftovers stay in the fridge and they're usually gone the next day or two. So uh, chicken probably is the easiest thing to cook and the leanest of all that. So you have that for dinner and you have that for leftovers and that ends up being your lunch for the subsequent two or three days. So that's what we've done. I don't know how far back that goes now. I'm going to say it goes back uh, a few months anyway. I want to say six, but six seems too long. And so consequently, this started just before COVID or kind of at the COVID turning point to really start to see this pattern. So we locked it down for ourselves probably in about March, April, and really stayed committed to this. And so I have dropped about 18 pounds. My weight was around 170. I never saw myself as a heavy person. But I had 18 pounds to lose, and now I'm well-defined. I don't feel like I'm starving or struggling in any way, or it's, I, I have to, yeah I don't feel hungry in any way. I don't feel deprived. That's the word. I don't feel deprived. But the larger miracle is uh, my wife, Judy, who is a much smaller person. So she's 4'10". And for anybody who's smaller, they realize there's not a lot of calories they can eat in the course of the day. And always seems to be just life is kind of a constriction. So in her, she comes from a family of, of diabetics and very rotund, we'll say, people. And, you know, she has always struggled with her weight. That has been her set of genes and her more of her environment and her eating history, um, Sicilian Italians and sweets and so on and so forth. But she has dropped considerably. So this, she's really excited about this. This is now panned out to be on a weekly basis. She doesn't like taking her her weight. I think she takes it once a month now. But um, she's been consistently dropping. Maybe she does it weekly. So she's all on fire about this. And so she stays to the pattern. She's very disciplined. These four days she does the protein sparing, modified fast, and then she goes on and she can, we have the ribeye or the chuck eye or something else. You can have your fat or you can have your, she has salami and she puts on her mayo on top of her egg yolk bagels, you know, things like that. So that's fattening it up for her. And she's with that, she's been able to sustain her weight loss. So it's a miracle for her. I think it's a real concept and it pointed us into the understanding of, um, protein sparing modified fast, but are a protein only. If you want to call that carnivore, call that carnivore. And, um, it's really been something. And so I go back and look at the literature and I go back and you find out, you know, as I present this in the group as well, there's like, you know, back in the seventies and the fifties, people were advocating protein only diet. And when they say protein only diet, they mean a whole food source. You're eating meat. You're not eating, um, uh, protein powder. So, um, that's pretty interesting. So that's been a big change for us. And so what do we do about the fats? Well, the fats, as I say, are in the meat and they're in the, in the meat and the chicken and the fish. Um, I do take a, a EPA, DHA supplement, and I think that's a, a healthy way to go. And that's primarily as much as I go out of the way. Do I take, we're going to get into it. I don't want to go into steel of thunder or what you're going to hear here, here now, but I wanted you to um, understand that context. This is where we are. I don't think I've used exogenous ketones for five or six years whenever they came out back in 2015. It just was never something that helped me. It didn't, I, you know, so we just moved on. However, there's a big following, as you know, big businesses. And in fact, there is a $15 billion global market estimate in the next uh, three or four years on that. Um, So it's a serious market for some. So I'm gonna go to listening to a woman talk. Her name is Dr. Brianna Stubbs, and she's a PhD doctor, and she was a, uh, I don't know if she was an Olympic rower, she's from the UK, and she now works for a company that sponsors exogenous ketones. It was the ketones that Dr. Veach um, developed. And it's interesting, because she's a doctor and looks at the data, she says, you know, this is what exogenous ketones are helpful for, and this is what they are not helpful for. And the part about not being helpful for, exogenous ketones will block you from losing weight. Now, the thing is, the, the largest market for exogenous ketones or the largest consumer exogenous ketones are people who are obese and thinking that they're going to get into ketosis and take these exogenous ketones. So they're doing the one thing. So getting into ketosis is a good idea. But if you're doing it by taking exogenous ketone, that's a bad idea if your objective is to lose weight. You are blocking that because getting ketosis in terms of naturally changing your diet, dropping your carbs, increasing your fat or not increasing your fat, protein-sparing fats, however you want to get there, but it's dropping the carbs, forces your body into burning fats, lipolysis. So burning fat is what you want to do. You want to burn your fat. You don't want to eat fat and burn the fat you're eating. That's pointless. So exogenous ketones block you, block your lipolysis. So let me get that up and I think you'll appreciate listening to it. Okay, here we go. Dr. Brianna Stubbs, and she's going to give a little background, get into exogenous ketones. And because I do think that they're a small miracle appropriately used. Here we
1: go. of Ketones are important and adherence can be difficult, such as in a pediatric population or an elderly population, or perhaps in uh, certain physical situations like with the military or elite athletes where carbohydrate restriction may be less easy to implement. One key difference is uh, lipolysis. With endogenous ketosis, you have a high rate of lipolysis and that's what's driving ketone production. And that's why ketogenic diets are successful for weight loss.
0: So did you catch that? She said endogenous. So endogenous means you're making your own ketones.
1: However, with exogenous ketones, they actually are anti-lipolytic because ketones antagonize the nicotinic acid receptor and thus decrease plasma-free fatty acids. don't read, uh, don't pay any attention to any headlines you read in trashy magazines saying that ketone drinks are the next miracle weight loss pill in a bottle. That's definitely not true.
0: So did you get that message? That was pretty straightforward.
1: And then to speak to really what a lot of what Jeff and Steve were just saying, long-term adaptations.
0: Jeff, this is a this is a conference at Ohio State in nineteen in August of uh, two years ago, nineteen eighteen. And so the Steve is Steve Finney, and the Jeff is Jeff Follic. Uh, who used to be at UConn, who's a, who basically put this together at Ohio State.
1: It's occurred during endogenous ketosis that um, and we really don't know if any adaptations occur to exogenous ketosis. So this is a, you know, at the moment our understanding of it is as a short-term strategy to provide ketones as a fuel. But
0: I'm going to leave it at there. Oh, actually, I'll go on for a second.
1: To echo a theme again, said by many, just talked about by many of our speakers, BHB, the molecule itself, is interesting in terms of its role in uh, not only fuel metabolism, but neuroprotection inflammation, oxidative stress, and so there may be some benef- uh, overlap in the benefits between endogenous ketosis and exogenous ketosis, whilst there are clearly still settings where the ho- state of whole body carbohydrate restriction is important, and on the flip side, settings where having both ketones and carbohydrate pr- present in abundance is an is advantage. So I'm just gonna give a quick run through of the different types of exogenous ketones that are out there. Uh, medium-chain triglycerides, now, According to my definition, these wouldn't technically be considered as an exogenous ketone as they're actually a fat uh, that our body metabolizes into ketones. Typically after consuming a standard dose of MCT, um, as Stephen Cunane uh, showed earlier, levels of blood ketones are anywhere between 0.5 to one millimolar.
0: Okay, Uh, we don't have to go through all the other kind of exogenous ketones, but did you catch that Dr. Stephen Cunane? We did a long interview with him and it was really because of him Uh, We got into our own product of C8 when C8, which is caprylic acid triglyceride, is an MCT oil. So coconut oil is also a combination of C10 and C8. That's also considered an MCT oil. There's also some C6 and other, and C12s are in there as well. Um, But that's what her reference is. What I thought I'd do, I would go to, I'm going to pop over because Dr. Stephen Kinane also spoke at this conference. It's nice they put it up on YouTube and give you a piece of what he's talking about, of the value of ketones, because I don't want to take away from the value of ketones or the value of MCT oil, certainly of, and he, and I learned about C8 through him, by the way. Here we go for Dr. Kinane. This is him giving you a context of MCT oil just in mammalian uh, infants.
2: substrate for the developing brain, and it's important catabolic or or fuel substrate as well. The main source of the carbon to supply the ketones that are constantly coming into the infant uh, during lactation is the medium-chain triglycerides that are in milk, human milk, All mammalian milk that that we know of contain medium chain fatty acids and uh, in principle mean that the the infants of of most or probably all mammals are in fact in mild ketosis um, during the lactation period. The advantage in humans is that some of those medium chain triglycerides end up in, in storage fat in the body fat of the infant. We are unique as a mammal in having body fat at birth And so this, in a way, extends the ketogenic state beyond weaning because those MCT can then be used from body fat. And I've uh, discussed this in the the implications of this for human evolution, both in the book that Ken referred to and in this article in the journal Human Evolution a couple of, a couple of years ago. So I think this, the, the important point I want to make here is that what we're trying to do is recapitulate in the aging brain what the, what the newborn brain is used to and thrives on day in, day out. The second, I think... It-
0: I'm going to pause there and then I'm going to jump way forward into his talk. Um, and I'm going to list uh, the links to both of these, by the way. So you, if you want to go back and listen to uh, Dr. Brianna Stubb's presentation and Dr. Stephen Kinane, and I hope you do, uh, they, the links for that will be here as well. Okay. So here's now Dr. Stephen talking, coming up talking about mild cognitive impairment in three categories. He's going to be talking about a diagram that he has up there as a PowerPoint slide, and I think you can follow that, and I think it's really pretty interesting to understand the concept of glucose utilization for the brain and ketone utilization for the brain, how are they different, what initiates them, And and he covers that. Again, I would hope you go back and listen to this again.
2: About 5% from ketones using the dual tracer ketone PET imaging. So that's the young healthy controls. Older healthy controls, uh, we've got about 30 people in that group, and you can see that the, the total height of the bar is lower. The ketone contribution is a bit lower. It's not that the K value for the ability to take up the ketones goes down, but in fact, plasma ketones drift downwards as you get older. So their contribution to brain energy metabolism goes down. But it's glucose that is going down in principle here, uh, mostly f- from 95% contribution to about 89%.
0: But there, are- I wanted to pause just to make sure you heard that. So as we get older, and it's hard to say what is normal, because if we're looking back over the last 70 years, we were a high-carb culture. So, whether it's Canada or the United States, we're certainly not speaking of Inuits or we're not speaking of Native Americans as they you know had lived a couple hundred years ago. It's a standard American diet, let's go assume that so in that population, this is what he had seen. We don't have another population that's why we're doing these experiments, or he's doing these experiments, and how he does this these are his magic of of being able to see these changes. Is that he has a PET scan? So PET PET scan is the uptake of glucose. It's a little, little um, radioactive, and that's how we get to see it on the scan. And then he has a keto scan, in which he gets to see the uptake of, of ketones, and so he can actually measure this in that uh, comparison. So it's pretty interesting, and that hasn't uh, ever been done before. I think there's only three what they call keto PET scans, keto is keto scan or keto PET scans in North America and he's up at the University of Sherbrooke, which is in Quebec.
2: All cognitively normal still. Then you go to MCI, which is the middle bar, and the, the value has gone down a little further. So there's a, still a significant drop in glucose, uh, although the ketone uptake is still the same as it was in the healthy older.
0: So MCI is mild cognitive impaired older people. So they, are, they cannot use as much glucose as they could so this is talking about brain cells and they are not producing or using as much uh, ketones as they did. So that's not a good thing. So they're kind of becoming deficient of energy and that's why we're getting brain damage.
2: Then the, the second bar from the right is the trial I just mentioned, the benefit trial in which the MCI patients were on 30 grams a day of, of the MCT. And now we've helped restore, uh, Them into the closer to the uh, healthy elderly with the ketones, which are now contributing twice as much as they were in the healthy elderly. But the glucose contribution has not has not been changed by the MCT supplement. So this is suggesting to us that if we want to get a more complete um, uh, reversal of the of the energy deficit, we're going to get up need to get into 45 grams a day. Roughly speaking, and that was going to pit us somewhere between the healthy elderly and the healthy young, which seems like a, a reasonable place to be. We might be able to get right up to this hundred percent value with perhaps with a ketone ester or or some other uh, uh, supplement we 're still
0: so the amazing thing here is this is a, one of the big points I want to get have you receive is that he's talking about MCT. So we talked about 45 grams. So 45 grams of MCT, he's speaking specifically of C8. That's about two tablespoons. So um, way back when I first heard this and when we were putting together our very specific recipe for the using C8 and our mayo and so on that you've all heard about, is that that really wasn't all that much. That was basically using mayo on a lot of things, you know, um, which which wasn't uh, a big deal. So in the cognitively impaired, whether that's all of us or just some people, that getting their energy, right? The energy, talked about the energy deficit, so decreasing the deficit, getting more energy into the brain cells via ketones, um, because of glucose, it couldn't affect glucose, you can't force feed more glucose into the brain cells. So increasing their ketones, which I skip part of the talk, which is simply by by concentration. Get the concentration up, more goes into the brain cells for ketones, not for glucose. And so that's how we brought it back between healthy adults and healthy young people. That's amazing. So two tablespoons per day, that's in essence a recipe. We. I don't think I'd ever take it straight. I wouldn't be stupid. I'd put it on food. You put it on your steak, put it in your mayo, as I've said 10 times. And so that's how you would use something like this. If you were the caretaker of somebody who had the situation and they couldn't take care of themselves, then you would have to think about how are you going to get it into their food? That would be a different set. You know, they couldn't take care of themselves. You were taking care of them for them. So this is what you would be doing. You think of your parents, grandparents, whoever.
2: Exploring that. So this is, is telling us what our therapeutic target is. It's giving us a dose that we should be looking for in order to accomplish this particular goal. This is the same slide, but it's a little busier now because I've added the Alzheimer's group here. So they, from the MCI, we get a further decline to a value of a deficit of about 19% in early Alzheimer's disease. So a person with Alzheimer's, early diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, day in, day out, is facing a 20% energy deficit in their brain constantly. MCT is one way to help correct that, as we show you here. But you can see that the group next to the Alzheimer's group here is an exercise group. And in fact, exercise helps get glucose in, more into the, in, into the brain. It also helps get ketones into the brain without a ketogenic supplement at the same time. It's helping to increase the K value, the number of doors into the brain. So exercise is potentially quite complementary with this, and, and we're excited about the potential of that. The problem is that it took seven years to get five patients through this protocol. So.
0: I'm going to leave it there, and I hope you're intrigued. You know, I don't want to ruin his whole talk, and it's, uh, it's really good. I hope you see it as a YouTube instead of just listening to it. So I'm going to conclude this particular podcast by saying that let's be reasonable. It's a big, big deal. Dropping your carbs, it will transform your life. There's a lot of false claims out there, you know, learning how to implement it, and also if you're one of the people... That it doesn't work out well for it doesn't mean that it's forever. It just means things have to be looked at. At least that's our impression now. These are the people that we work with, and that we can. And this isn't a plug for our program, but consider it that as well that people can be brought along, but they have to be sort of identified. What are their specific things? Was it nutrient deficiencies? Basically, kind of like Dr. Brianna Stubbs is talking about, it blocked other mechanisms and therefore it wasn't going to work for you. Well, you fix those and you f- basically make it easier for this to take take off. And um, okay, so I'll leave it at that. And until next time, we have much more to talk about. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to Dr. Goldcamp at ketonatropath.com. Many of you have. And so, what I've done with these questions that gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview, or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will on some of these issues. So uh, please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email, and uh, I will get back to you. One thing I want to say, a number of questions have come in in which I've given this answer, and the email didn't work. So just make sure that you're receiving at the same email that you sent it in, and I think that might have been the difficulty. So I look forward to your questions. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that I'm hoping to answer your questions. And I think this world of keto is not just black and white. You know, it's nice that it's simple, but it's not simple for some. I'm really trying to, you know, go down as anybody, any of you who have listened to all my podcasts, we started way back when, history and evolution, and epilepsy, and so on and so forth. You know, now we're seeing some tremendous overlap in uh, various uh, mental disorders, such as schizophrenia, Or neurological disorders that are not just epilepsy. And also just for people and losing weight, it's sometimes pretty complicated for them to engage in keto. And so they need some help. And so that's the whole point of, at least that's what I think I'm doing is exploring the world of why are there other factors? So in exploring some of those other factors, we've covered addiction, we've covered hormones, we've covered uh, nutritional deficiencies, we've covered certain metabolic lab results. And we'll go further. We'll even get to more on genome and aspects. So these are all just contributions that make for an obstacle for some people to engage easily in the ketogenic diet. This is my belief. And these are the things that I've discovered. And I think other people have discovered some of these things, but not ever put them together. So stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.